Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 21, Botanical Magic, with Green Witch and author Amy Blackthorne. In this episode, we speak with Amy about potions and teas, about making magical poke ink, about using poke and other plants like Angelica as protection, about how to use essential oils magically, and what an absolute is. We hear Amy's favorite definition of magic and what it means to her. We also speak with her about the power of mugwort, how to make your own incense, and other ways to use the smoke of herbs ritually. All right. Today, we welcome to the Plant Cunning uh, Podcast, Amy Blackthorne. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. How are you doing today? Today's amazing. The The cold hasn't quite gotten here, so it's a little warmer than literally everywhere else in the country. So I'm, it doesn't really impact a whole lot of the, the writer life, but it is nice to be able to see outside and it look you know, cozy and warm. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Excellent. So um, you're an author and a green witch, and you've written several books on botanical magic and potions, and um, you have a book on sacred smoke. And I was just wondering how you got into magic, how you got into plants. What what did it for you? Was it something that you've always been involved in? Yes and no. Uh, plants, I started, <clears throat> goodness, I was probably eight or nine when I discovered that plants were magic. Um, I grew up in, in the uh, North Baltimore, very uh, concrete part of the city. <laughs> mm-hmm. The Our yard was probably an eight by 10 square of grass <laughs> and the neighbors had a tree or two and that's about it. Um, my, my parents didn't garden. This isn't something that I grew up with. But the minute we moved to the Northern Baltimore County, it's a cow country. The, the town I lived in was actually named after a breed of cow. So <laughs> they mean it. <laughs> um, <laughs> the uh, experiencing trees and nature was just beyond my comprehension. We, we had one lone azalea bush that lived alongside of the house. And I remember brushing up against it one day and seeing the little pink trumpet flower sort of fall out of the ball, out of the bloom and there's a little black seed in the cup just waiting to become a new azalea and my mind was blown as a small child thinking okay this is how it works this is you know see, flowers become seeds and the next thing you know I'm a 10 year old with mad science trying to pollinate things with other things with a feather <laughs> So <laughs> trying to make my own little plant minion army mm-hmm. was uh, really my first journey into understanding the magic of plants. Mm. Um, yeah, thinking about a seed really is magic. Yeah, I mean, hold you that. hold an acorn in your hand yeah. and you're, the realization mm. that that acorn is also a, you know, a 30 foot tall tree. It's yeah. mind boggling to, especially to a small person. <laughs> uh, who had never really experienced things. I mean, we had a little bit of mint that grew alongside of the the basement entrance. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, people are eating this 
on purpose. It came out of the ground. <laughs> <laughs> what are they thinking? <laughs> I, I, you know, I just know my mom says, don't pick things up off the ground and put them in your mouth. <laughs> That's what I got. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was really interesting to sort of see how those all interconnect. And it got to the point where I needed to pedal my bike around to the neighbors to see if I could do chores for spare change so I could go and get myself a small window box and a six pack of petunias and some dirt and do this myself and sort of see how this happens, how this works. Cool. So, you know, an eight-year-old scientist running around with a, a bike full of plants is a, uh, is definitely a visual. Uh-huh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it wasn't until I was 11 that I found my first book on Wicca. Uh, and it's, it's funny cause it's, you oh, think that's, that's a, nice. such a young age. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. Like, no, it wasn't until, until I was 11. 11. <laughs> all the way until 11 years old uh I, but I, I i joke that i came out of the womb at 40 years old and just sort of caught up with the rest of me uh, uh the the it's, it's a funny story my older sister and i shared a bedroom she was 14 and i was 11 and anyone who knows anyone who has younger siblings anyone who has someone in their life like that you know the the easiest way to get them involved in your business is to tell them to go away <laughs> so the day my oh, my older sister came home with her best friend who very rarely visited and you know sneaky backpack giggle noises I, i'm now you add in you gotta go i'm sorry now i have to know what's what's going on it's it's a moral imperative that i figure out what you're hiding from me and figure out how to use this knowledge for my own self <laughs> so it wasn't until christine had gone home and all these the, the evening had progressed everyone's asleep that I sort of slither out of my bed pink panther style and tippy toe across the floor to open her backpack one tooth at a time to see see what was in there what was so fabulous nice. and it was a, a copy of Scott Cunningham's Wicca Guide for Solitary Practitioner hmm. I read it cover to cover cool. by the light of the gas station down the street so I'm not even risking a flashlight wow. sort of curled up against the window with my, my little book. And I finished it that night. <clears throat> and those of you who read it, you know, it's not necessarily a hefty book, but it is dense. There's a lot of material. There's a lot of things to understand. And I had to have it for myself. I had to understand it. I had to, to be a part of it. And I had to bring this into my understanding of what the world is. And so I really spent the next five years going to the, walking to the library by myself sort of on this quest for knowledge and reading everything in the nonfictions and the in the 133s that I could get my hands on uh, anything that said magic anything that said witchcraft anything that was even remotely connected I had to have it in my brain right now cool so the seed was planted hmm. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely <laughs> So then did you go on to study horticulture later? I did. As a matter of fact, I went, I, I had a hybrid high school education where I went to a regular high school for half of the day and the rest of the day I spent uh, next door to the local college in our their own greenhouse, in their own space, learning floral arranging, uh, how to keep a greenhouse, how to sanitize everything, how to plant your seeds, how to plan what you're going to grow and how you're going to grow what needs, how many weeks out, when to start your seeds, when to all that. And it went so well that I actually went back for a year of independent study the next year. And I got to 
plant my own greenhouse. I got to keep my own plants. And it was great because I could grow my own magical herbs and nobody had boo to say about it. Um, <laughs> it was it was really fantastic. So I had a whole greenhouse to myself, whatever I wanted to plant. I, um, I created a, uh, a tomato hydroponic system that was uh, living and growing, lots of leaning and lowering, uh, pollinating by hand, and even an upright hydroponic system that was for herbs and strawberries year round. That was, I mean, there's the things that I was living for. And someone said, here, there's no monetary requirement. Just do this and we'll give you a grade. And I'm like, okay, I can understand. I can do this. Yeah, so, that's so cool. You got to be able to do that as an independent study. And get credit for it. I was, yeah. I was thrilled. <laughs> yeah. So the, the, the materials and the pieces putting them together with my magic and my, the, the witchcraft that I had been studying was really fantastic. I'm really lucky. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a great start. Uh, so I, I like to get back to basics sometimes and, and ask, you know, I'll ask permaculturists, what, what does permaculture mean? So for you, like, what does magic mean to you? Do you have a, a favorite definition? I do. The, the no, one that I normally go with is Crowley's definition of creating change in accordance with your will. And it's, it's really the, the liminality of all things. I mean, magic is where that, that liminal resides. When you think about a quick intake of breath before you burst into song, or the, the squeak of guitar strings when you move between frets, like that's where that magic lies, that right in between this thought and the next, right in there, that's, that's where that magic is. Yeah, that's a good definition. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned Crowley, do you have any specific teachers or influences um, that have guided you on your path through magic? You mentioned you read like every book possible, but like who really stuck out for you? You know, who are your teachers? My original coven, when I, the minute I turned 18, I went out and joined the first coven I could find. Cool. And the, the tradition was um, as a part of uh, Silver Ravenwolf's line. So I did a lot of one-on-one um, -on -one teaching with Silver. And that was in the late 90s when literally everyone was buying uh, her books. So it was like, okay, this is, I guess I went to the source here. Yeah. Um, but the, it's great getting to understand a lot of the, the materials that formed where she got her materials from, where she got her ideas from, and, and a lot of the basis is for her materials like uh, Raymond Buckland, um, uh, Gerald Gardner. So really fantastic. I actually, one of my dearest friends, um, we share a lineage and we just happened to find out the, the day we went to lunch and we're like, okay, this is this is a thing now. I guess we're, we're stuck with each other. <laughs> and uh, 11 years later, we're, we're, still, we're still very close. Cool. So, what do you do now? What are, what are your, I mean, you're an author, you've written several books on magic and, and botanical magic. Um, and you have a, you have a store in Delaware? Or I do. I have uh, Blackthorns Botanicals. So I, I create teas based on magical formulas uh, for their, their magical properties and sort of figure out how they all blend together and understand uh, how to move forward as magical people, incorporating lots of different parts of our lives. So the morning tea or your morning coffee can be a ritual. You don't have to set aside a specific time for things you are already doing. Yeah, that's, that's really important about like integrating magic into your day-to-day -day life. Everyone has 
has rituals that they do every day, whether it's brushing their teeth or drinking tea. Yeah, I love the idea of um, magical your your book, um, Blackthorn's Botanical Brews of Magical Teas and Potions, because I'm as an herbalist, I'm always trying to force down like these really medicinal tasting teas and tinctures to people. Um, but I think that, you know, if it tasted yummy, we would have a better compliance rate, you know? So I was wondering um, if, if your teas in that book and your potions are um, something that can be used like an herbalist would use, like for health, um, or is it more for like flavor and for magical intention? Like, can you tell us a little bit about your book and about magical teas in general? Absolutely. When I started writing Blackbird's Botanical Brews, I was truly trying to embrace the, the both hands uh, ideal. I wanted things that were going to taste good, but I also wanted things that felt energetically pleasing. So it was really important to make sure that each part that I had put in, even if it was something that was um, herbal or medicinal, that it had that same nugget of wisdom that people could expand upon. As I started uh, in my magical practice, you see magical teas in these clear plastic baggies that were just filled with dusty herbs that were past their efficacy two years ago, and they're still yeah. sitting on the, this dusty shelf. So I wanted things that looked pleasing to the eye, that that tasted good, but still had the same magical properties. So I can include uh, medicinal herbs in a way that is acceptable to people who don't normally um, awesome. are ready to embrace them. Yeah, that, that seems really awesome. So um, what is it, a potion? Like what's the difference of a tea and a potion? Intent. Yeah. So a tea can be a potion and a potion can be a tea. But what the extra step is you adding your own intention into that, adding your own magic into that brew. So water can be a potion. You mm. can take plain water, imbue it with the energy that you are working with, imbue it with your own natural enhancement, and that makes it a potion. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and I guess there's also another layer in regards to like what plants you use. Like you can use certain plants for different purposes, like, you know, nettle is a wonderful uh, nutritive tonic, but it also, it's ruled, ruled by Mars. So you could, you know, if you want to be a little more aggressive, maybe <laughs> you could, you know, use the nettle tea with the intention of, of being more aggressive or something. Absolutely. When you look at the way that these nettles, not just the aerial parts of the plant, but each section of the plant has its own associations. So knowing those going into it, you can create something that's magical and that also has the intention going into it. Yeah. So what are some of your favorite plants to work with in tea making or in uh, other potions? One of the things that I really love doing is flipping through books and materials and looking at, uh, we'll take orange, for example, the magical associations of fire and the day of Sunday and figuring out what it is that I can do with those potion wise. So your orange juice, you know, you could drink it on a Sunday morning, have the energy of fire for joy and prosperity attraction. So you can say, um, I need a little bit more uh, money coming into this week. I have some things that I want to get done. Mm -hmm. So you can charge your orange juice for that energy of prosperity and turn that, that morning breakfast uh, into a little bit more of a magical rite by making it a potion. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's cool. So do you do that just by like 
uh, like holding the orange juice and putting your intention into it or, or are the rituals a little bit more complex? They can be as complex as you'd like. Um, and that's the benefit of a magical practice is yeah. the time that you have to devote to it is the time that it needs. So if it's something that where I'm running out the door, I can charge my orange juice. But if it's something where I may be writing all day and I'm, I don't have any plans to leave the house, I can take a little bit more time. Mm-hmm. So centering yourself drawing the disparate pieces of energy from the different parts of your body, bringing some up from the earth and pouring it into that orange juice. It can take as little or as much time as you'd like. Yeah. You, know, you could have meditations during, after. I guess you could buy like the oranges uh, when the sun is in Leo on a Sunday and, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. You can go and especially if you live in a place like Florida where there are uh, groves of oranges, you can absolutely wait for the right hour and the right day and pick mm-hmm. them and, Make sure that, you know, when you, you're to chance the right song while you're squeezing the juice and exactly make it as elaborate or as elaborate <laughs> uh, that you, that you have time and attention for. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's really great because you can, I mean, it really makes magic is something that anybody can do and, it, and everyone is doing all the time anyway. Just mm-hmm. being conscious of it makes it even more powerful. Makes me wonder, are bartenders magicians? They are. They really are. Whether they know it or not is a separate is a separate issue. <laughs> the, the number of magicians out there who are bartenders is not small. That's, yeah, that's true. Uh, the the taking the time and knowing which uh, ingredients go do what together and how they inter intermingle. You yeah, know, kind of just awesome. making just making a drink with um, frost egg white in it correctly. Yeah, that's magic. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Well, there's definitely skill involved there. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. My book is actually sold uh, pretty well with bartenders who aren't magicians trying to figure out how to put this, put those two worlds together. And I'm really, I absolutely love it. Yeah, the pictures and everything is just mouthwatering. Are there any particular um, recipes that we'd want to share just to highlight an example of one of your Yes. Oh my goodness. So I found this incredible gin while writing this book that I I wasn't familiar with the brand. I had been enjoying the botanist for a while and Mm -hmm. I said, okay, well, we'll figure out, let's, let's try something new. And so I went to my, my local liquor store and the gentleman at the counter said, look, what can I, what can I help you find? I said, I need some gin, but I need something different. Mm-hmm. And he ran right over and grabbed a bottle of Uncle Val's Botanical Gin. It's a cucumber forward gin. Huh. And so I had been creating these um, different shrubs. Do you know what a shrub is? Yeah. 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 Our so friend I had yeah. the last thing I did before lockdown last March was grab a small watermelon and dice it up to make a watermelon shrub. So I took Yum. with watermelon having so much water content in it, I use yeah. a, um, a cup of sugar per pound of watermelon instead of a cup to a cup. Mm-hmm. Um, normally it's one cup of fruit, one cup of uh, vinegar and one cup of sugar. Mm-hmm. I used a little bit more uh, material with that gorgeous watermelon. But the neat thing is, is you can take the most tasteless out of season watermelon and make a really beautiful, vibrant shrub out of it because it's breaking that cell wall. It's releasing all that sugar and water into your syrup. And there's no barrier between that, uh, like in the, with the cellulose. Mm-hmm. So I made this beautiful watermelon shrub and I said, okay, I, I guess I'll make watermelon sodas so I can have, you know, something fancy while I'm at home. Well, I just on a whim, I said, you know, cucumber and watermelon go really well together. Let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. So I took, um, 
about an ounce of this beautiful watermelon shrub and uh, eight ounces of my Italian sparkling water that I like to make sodas with mm -hmm. and two ounces of this Uncle Val's botanical gin. Give it a little swirl, nice and fabulous. It was the best thing I've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, oh my God, there's not enough gin or shrub. I, I can make more immediately. <laughs> and I did. I, I went, I, I said, okay, we'll, we'll do this on Instagram so people can see it. And oh. so I have this beautiful blend of watermelon and cucumber and it's, it's really beautiful because the, the Uncle Val's has, it's cucumber forward, but it has sage and it has lavender and it has bright lemon in it. So it smells like a Mediterranean garden in summer. Mm. It's incredible. <laughs> I love really it. it. I'm like, I need to go this. <laughs> make some dollars. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I, I wrote out the recipe. I put it up in a couple places and I kept getting a lot of really great feedback. The, the things, watermelon gets overlooked you know, we'll say 11 months out of the year. Yeah. And this is a way you can embrace those seasons mm. outside of their, their viability. You can make sure that you're really gorgeous materials that are, have such a small window and really give them extra life. So each of those pieces, each of those parts has such a, a vibrant maturity to them. And with a, a more expensive ingredient like um, balsamic vinegar, especially I use the chocolate vinegar, you're just using enough for flavor. You don't have to use all whatever three parts or four parts that you're using mm -hmm. in that very expensive vinegar. Just <laughs> yeah. add a little bit of flavor to it. Right. Yeah. Yum. Yeah. I love the idea of preserving things past the season. It's so nice. We've been eating like greens that we saved and we had a berry smoothie from berries that we saved and, mm. and froze. But yeah, making it into shrubs is another really great idea that I should really get into more. Well, I get one of those um, boxes of produce in the mail you know, every two weeks or so. Uh, it's, it's with a, such a small house, I can't do one a week. There's just not enough people to eat that much food. But really getting to experiment in bringing those together. How long can they? Can I make them last? How can I enjoy this uh, out of season? It's it's so joyful for me. I love eating in season. Um, and it's, yeah. it feels very liminal to me, mm -hmm. but especially preserving those things that are only really good at a certain part of the year and making yeah. sure that I can enjoy that in other times, you know, when it's snowy outside and I haven't left the house in a month, I would <laughs> love to feel the, the feeling of spring. So yeah. that little bit of watermelon was perfect. Oh, totally. I think it's also helpful to use fresh ingredients and in whatever you're doing, whether it's food or, or magic or both. And I, I think also like growing your own plants or foraging your own plants also adds that extra little bit to it. Um, and so you, you've talked about uh, weed walks, right? Is, is that something that you like? Wow, to I love it. It's <laughs> one of my favorite things to do is especially on, in that, that space in between so, uh, spring and summer when uh -huh. it's, when it's sort of still cool in the morning, but warm by midday mm -hmm. to do weed walks where you get together with friends, you know, when you can do that yeah. <laughs> and, yes, and really go out and, and point out the different things throughout your, your journey. There's a, uh, a friend and I like to go out to a, a local state park and there's a stand of plantain that is these leaves, individual leaves are feet across. They just wow. look like something out of a fairy tale. Oh my gosh. They're, it's incredible. They're and, like the redwoods of plantain. Yes. It's, it's 
that looks like giant cabbage where fairies should have been born out of them and they're incredible mm. and so I know that I can come back to this stand in this place in this time and make some plantain salve for those winter cracks and and uh, pains mm-hmm. it's it's definitely magic because the walk that we take today will not be the same that we take the next day two right. weeks from now or a month from now mm-hmm. it only exists in this space and time mm. especially if there's things like uh, fungi on your walk you can identify them you can talk to them you can figure out what they're what message they're bringing to you mm. in uh, in the green witchcraft tradition we take a lot of presence in in our plant walks to have individual meaning mm. so a few years ago i had uh, a, a bunch uh, of poke just line up around my fence mm. and i've been in this this house for 17 years and i've never seen poke on the land before really wow it it's very wooded wow. um, i'm back in the back of a development in that backs up to a nature preserve Cool. So it's it's very dark. Just there's not enough sunlight for this poke to get the light that it needs to make all these berries, and so it, they just came up one year. I'm like, okay, what is poke trying to tell me? For sure, poke was such a, a fabulous energy to understand. What is it bringing to me? What is it showing me? And it turns out that a few the right as the that poke was emerging, I there was a threat that I didn't know. Um, so keeping an eye out for that poke left me, okay, what's, what, let's see what's going on in my life. What could be that, that inciting incident? I was being stalked by a convicted rapist. Oh Whoa. my gosh. Yes. Um, it was, it was very dangerous. It was a very, very scary time in my life. And, uh, poke was right there saying, Hey, you need to pay attention. Wow. Oh, I got the chills. Yeah. Poke is a really powerful plant, a good ally to have. So I guess that we could talk a little bit now about protection. protection. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good segue. Yeah. Uh, this was, this is really great to, to understand. I actually keep uh, a protection journal with uh, made with poke ink from my own oh, plants yeah. for that reason. Uh-huh. I, don't, I don't know if you've had any experience with poke ink itself, but the, the ink fades over time. Mm. So as I'm going through this journal, the things that used to worry me are now fading into oh, nothingness. Oh, so wow. It's, that's, yeah, that's great. That's amazing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I love it. Uh, for anyone who hasn't experimented with poke before and understood such a the really incredible energy that poke has, um, Blackthorn's Botanical Magic in the very back has how to make poke ink mm. um, with the berries that are so prevalent in the late summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a, I haven't worked with the berries as much as I've worked with the root and then like eating the, uh, the poke salad. salad. Yeah. So do you, do you journal about um, like any specific concerns and then like rituals that you're doing or? Um... Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, more with the actual feelings that are, that need to be, to get out uh-huh. because then they, once they're out and I've expressed them, then it gives it permission to, to fade away, yeah. which is why I use that poke ink. Yeah. Um, the rituals are, are usually go in my book of shadows, but they, the particular feelings that I'm having around the idea of protection are so valuable for this experience because watching them fade over time really reinforces that our fears can and do fade over time those those concerns 
that are so vital one day, one day they'll just be a memory. And that's so empowering. The agency that comes from seeing those fears disappear is amazing. Yeah. So are there, um, are there plants that you use also um, defensively or for protection? Absolutely. And my favorite is rue. Rue. Um, one of my, one of the things that I, I love to chat about is the idea of where our magic comes from. Yeah. Where do our, where do yeah. these, where do these associations come from? I can write a whole book of, you know, the plants and materials and what they mean, but really understanding why they mean that mm-hmm. is what teaches magic, is what teaches yeah. witchcraft. Mm-hmm. So I use rue defensively and offensively um, for that. Mm-hmm. So in in ancient Greek and Roman society, they had individual temples for different gods and goddesses. They had priestesses who lived in those temples and ran them. When you looked at the, the very square, very equilateral, <laughs> uh, temples for Vesta and Hestia, they were ringed with rue. Mm. And so the rue protected those virgin priestesses from nasty onlookers who were trying to peek in through the window at the virgin priestesses, from the priestesses themselves being able to be in control of their own um, bodily health. Because you got to keep in mind that at this point, virgin didn't mean untouched by a man. It meant a woman who was in charge of her own person. Mm-hmm. So it didn't mean that she didn't engage in sexual congress. It meant that she wasn't beholden to another man who she engaged in sex with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so have some rue around. Yes. So it, just in brushing up against the rue and being uh, working with the rue, it kept them from getting pregnant. You know, uh, it's not only is it an abortifacient, but it can keep you from getting pregnant. So just having it around kept them in charge of their own bodies. Uh, but if there was someone who wanted to peek in the windows, you know, the, the, the flowers and the seeds of rue can produce phototoxic burns. So it's then oh, tells it's them literally keeping the gods have cursed this, this person for doing something hinky. <laughs> like you avoid them. Yeah. So all of those protective associations is what gave rue its magical protection association. It's not just about women's health. It's also about empowerment. Mm-hmm. So we keep these ideas. We keep these, these thoughts, but we don't necessarily know why we have them. Uh, Uh, For instance, one of my favorite ones to talk about is patchouli. Patchouli gets associated with money. And so we think, okay, well, I'll, you know, crumble some patchouli around a candle and I'll I'll have all the money I need. But why do we think that? In the the very early ideas of the Silk Roads, they had materials coming from India and China and they needed to get to places uh, like London. So they're going by boat you know, because over the Silk Road was much more dangerous. There's not only the materials danger, but there's also the people who might not necessarily want you to be making money coming through their territory. There's, you know, there's pirates on water. There's also robbers on land. So going, taking these materials by boat, you had other issues. You know, if you're at sea for four months, how are these beautiful silks going to be worth anything by the time they get to where they're going? So they started by layering these beautiful silks and uh, other textiles with patchouli leaves oh. to keep them from de- developing mold, to keep rats away. And so by the time the layer of silk, layer of uh, patchouli, layer of wool, layer of patchouli, all these materials have to go s- stacked up to the ceiling. See, that's a lot of patchouli being hauled across the ocean. 
Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so by the time they get to, we'll say, um, England, mm-hmm. they pull into the port and they start unloading the ships. They dump the patchouli in a pile and hang up the silks. Patchouli, silk, patchouli, silk, patchouli, silk. So then by the time you're walking through this as a mer- as whether a merchant or a different customer, all you get is these the sight of these beautiful silks that have been coming from a far off land and the smell of patchouli. Yeah. Just wafting through these beautiful silks that have been at sea for four months. So they're definitely going to smell like patchouli. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the funny thing is, okay, well, you just hauled all this patchouli across you know, half of the world, what are you going to do with it? Because it costs money to get there. So you want to make some money off it if you can. So they took the other material that they were, um, had in the bow of the ship, uh, those beautiful blocks of India, indigo, India ink. And they started adding that patchouli into the India ink to make this beautiful ink, which is where India ink gets its scent from, is from the crumbled patchouli leaves that they were adding into the ink. Cool. So you had to spend money on the silks. You had to spend money on the, the ink to be able to, to do anything. I mean, a household that ran out of ink, you know, there's a lot of materials that you might need. So each of those things became associated with the idea of money and with expensive wow. things, with luxury. Mm. So somebody wrote that down in a book and, you know, several hundred years later, we have the idea of money equals patchouli, but some we've sort of lose that middle bit that says, where it came from because every magical association you've ever read in a book comes from somewhere yeah then yeah. they got clouded by the 60s and 70s like hippie culture of everything exactly truly <laughs> so we forgot about this like <laughs> whole other history i guess well it's also interesting that you know the reason that patchouli in a way like the reason patchouli is has that association is because of its properties where yes. it keeps it protects the clothing or the silk Mm-hmm. from rot or uh, varmints. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's interesting too. So I, I haven't really worked with patchouli that much, um, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so does it have that association with it too? Is it a, is it a protective plant? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, not just by itself, but you can look at the the different parts of the patchouli leaf. Uh, if you've ever actually worked with the physical plant, the you have small round leaves that sort of look like a little umbrella mm-hmm. um, and depending on your your zone how much sunlight you get it could get you know a foot or two tall it gets really bushy but the the scent that we associate with patchouli is not what the plant smells like uh, just like tea or black tea and green tea come from the same plant but they aren't treated the same right so they ferment the patchouli leaves to get that scent that we understand from the essential oil Oh. So by fermenting it, it really increases the potency of that. And that's how we get that, that syrupy, dark beautifulness. It's not that they take it from the root, which really doesn't have a scent. They ferment it first. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. That's really interesting. Yeah. So when you're working with the, the dried herb, you might get a whiff of loamy dirt, but it's not as earthy as say the essential oil is. I'm curious what other um, tips you can give us on protection, whether magical or physical, um, I know you're a martial artist, so you have some physical tips up your sleeve. Um, I do. Yeah. The plants that I love, the the very top of the list is always Angelica. Um, if you know the, the story of the Latin name Angelica, Archangelica, it's supposed to be the, the plant that sprung up where the Archangel Michael touched down to earth the very first time. Cool. So 
you get you you know for those of you who work with angelic spirits archangels uh what have you it's a it's the perfect protection herb uh, a gentleman had a, a I say gentleman, he was actually a, a priest during the 1300s, had a dream about curing the Black Plague with Angelica. And it just so happened that he, he ran out, he tried it, and it worked. Wow. So it protects from disease. It protects your, your home and your physical um, well-being. Cloves are really fantastic. You just reach in your spice cabinet. You can burn some of those ground cloves. Mm -hmm. uh, if you don't have an incense or you censor, you can just um, put about a teaspoon into a pot of boiling water and your whole house will smell like cloves. Mm. Cloves protect your money, but they also bring luck into the home. So it's a nice twofold um, association, especially if you sprinkle a little cinnamon in there to keep that money coming into the house. Mm. Cool. Um, lavender, one of the most um, well-loved of, all the, of the, all the flowers, especially yeah. in my house. Uh, <laughs> lavender is great for protection. Okay. And it has a very interesting idea that because it has some mercurial associations, it's very useful for protecting secrets. Oh, cool. Yes. Um, juniper, lilac, marjoram, myrrh. I mean, they're all beautifully associated with protection herbs. Um, anything that comes in a resin form mm -hmm. is automatically associated with protection because you think yeah. about the the covering that a, that a sap does for trees. Right. You can you can sort of see where we're going with this. So each of those things, anything with a thorn on it, if it can protect itself, it can protect you. Yeah, hawthorn and so on. Yes, um, one of the, my favorite things to do if I'm when I'm going camping is to take um, two thorny branches and X them over the the doorway of the the little tent that we're using. Keep cool. any wildlife away. Mm -hmm. Cool. So you can also use. Um, ritual tools like that. If you have iron scissors, I, I usually keep a pair tacked over the door to um, keep any spells from outside the house coming in. Mm -hmm. um, I just keep them open so they're capable of cutting and just tack them over the door with little cup hooks. Cool. But one of my favorite um, botanical allies is mugwort. Oh, yeah. Hugely associated with protection. Yeah. yeah. Um, I actually keep a jar of ointment that I use my, that I make myself. Um, right there at the end of, edge of my desk where I'm working with um, materials and understanding the doorways to another space. I want to make sure that I'm protected and that, that it's very well protected itself. I use the fresh mugwort from my garden, which does not have the best smell. Uh, mm. <laughs> those of you who work with it may understand. <laughs> so this ointment that I make, I actually sent with um, oak moss because it also has hex breaking um, qualities associated with it. And it's one of my favorite smells. Um, those of you who have never worked with oak moss before, it smells like violets and leather. Huh. Cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, it's one of the organic substitutes for leather um, in fragrance and body products comes from, is from oak moss. It's huh. my favorite lichen. <laughs> yeah. so that, that's the essential oil you're using? Yes, it, it comes in an absolute. One of the vendors that I have used in the past is Oh, pipingrock.com. They, they use, uh, you get a, you can get an absolute, which is very thick, very gummy. Uh, you need to definitely work with a water bath beforehand just to get it workable, but you can get two ounces for like 30 bucks. Cool. That's not bad. Yeah. That's, that's really good when you're talking about absolutes because they're expensive to make. So. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're just getting into making essential oils. We just got our, our little still yesterday. So. <laughs> Yeah. 
I actually have a whole section in Blackthirds Botanical Magic on working with hydrosols. Oh, yeah. Because awesome. so many people were just dumping it down the drain, which is oh, no. horrifying to me. <laughs> Don't, do that. Don't do that. Yeah, that's like half of the, <laughs> half the fun is the yeah. hydrosol. Yeah, so you can use hydrosols in the same uh, magical associations, even though it has less of, it has 0.02 to 0.03% uh, of the dissolved essential oil in that hydrosol. So it still has the magical properties. Absolutely run out and use them the way you would an essential oil in the in your magic. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot more uh, financially accessible. Yeah. Well, it also, I mean, when you start, when you have distill an essential oil, you realize how much plant matter it takes to mm. make just a little bit of essential oil. And then that's, it also makes you appreciate those plants like mugwort, which are just so prolific, you know, talk about weed walk, you know, you <laughs> go out and you can harvest, you know, pounds and pounds and no one will care. <laughs> it's funny. My, I have, I've, like I said, I've been in this house for 17 years. I had a comfrey that I started the first year that I uh, bought the house and it was the size of a coffee table, like a living room, just giant comfrey. Mm. And the mugwort killed it. Oh, the mugwort, really? The mugwort killed my mint. Like it's uh, it's just carving a path of destruction. I'm like, okay, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna do the work that we need to do. Yeah, you don't put mugwort. I mean, if you have mugwort, I didn't put it there. I didn't put it there. <laughs> well, if you have birds, must have been given to me. Mugwort. <laughs> yeah, mugwort. <laughs> Mugwort's it's amazing. So it is aggressive, but, but yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's hard not to mind because yeah. it's so great. <laughs> you, can, you can work with it. It's just, oh uh, yeah. That it, it got rid of comfrey is pretty, yeah, pretty that's impressive. impressive. <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't imagine. I, I was really not worried about it. It was a side of the garden that is, gets some Northwesternly light. So it's very interesting what would or wouldn't grow there. And I figured, okay, it's by itself. I'm not really using that space, but it just, left unchecked it will it will tear through anything yeah (laughs) so how else um do you use essential oils in your magical practice Um, maybe specific plants that you want to talk about or purpose sure one of my one of my most um interesting ideas i feel i feel like neroli gets a lot of love because it's beautiful it's the essential oil created from the blossoms of the bitter orange tree but there's also two other materials that come from that same tree. So you have the bitter orange essential oil and you have pedigree, which is the leaves and the sticks that get distilled into that beautiful essential oil. So it has the energy of neroli because they come from the same plant with just a tinge of green leaf added to it for um, flavor and for effect. But the neat thing is, because here it is, I found it, because pedigree comes from the leaves and the little bit of the branches. You can utilize neroli in places of recipes where you would otherwise want to use neroli, which with much, much less, much (laughs) smaller of a price tag because it's not an absolute. Mm. Delicate flowers like lemon balm, the neroli, rose, all of those have to be absolutes they have to be alcohol extracted because of the delicate nature of those flowers it's one of the reasons we don't have a a true essential oil of honeysuckle is because it's it's more water than it is actual fragrance Mm -hmm. so even trying an absolute it doesn't really yield something that smells like honeysuckle do you think you could uh, actually just define what a an absolute is for our listeners who don't yes 
<laughs> I think everyone knows what an essential oil is, but maybe not an absolute. Thank you, because I, I get I get to talking and I I forget when I'm talking. Not necessarily everybody's on the same page. So the difference is an essential oil, those are usually steam distilled, it's by and large. They plant, they take a big, 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 big amount of plant material, place it into a hopper, force steam up through it, and then they condense it into a small little cup. It's you mostly um, hydrosol with just a little bit of essential oil on top. You sort of drain that off and then you have essential oil. Hydrosol is what's left over. But when you have something that's very delicate, like a, a rose or a, a jasmine, you tried to put those beautiful flowers into a steam distillation and you just wind up with muck. It's not attractive, doesn't smell good, and it's not pretty. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you want the, the scent of those things, you have to actually submerge them into alcohol so that break that cell wall, release those beautiful materials into solution, and then you can extract out the, the what, would what would have been muck. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and they form it into bricks and it's called rose concrete. It's really pretty. They're they're very blush colored bricks, and you're saying you're thinking, okay, well, how does this this get to be a thing? Hmm. They take it to another plant in a different place, so you're you're adding the transportation costs to take it to somewhere else, where then they extract the solid matter out, and they they sort of gently allow the alcohol to dis disperse, and then you're left with this beautiful absolute. So it is 100% pure material that's why the word absolute is really important when you're looking at uh, materials absolute means it hasn't been distilled it hasn't been uh, diluted it hasn't been messed with it is very pure and very lovely which is why things like rose and jasmine and neroli are so expensive especially lemon balm essential oil um, that absolute is really really expensive because it's not an essential oil made from the leaves of the lemon balm it's the flowers of the melissa plant so yeah those are tiny and they're so tiny and, they're, and you need a lot of them to make um an essential oil or, you know that absolute the thing that's left over when you get all that all the rose essential oil the rose absolute pulled out of it looks like uh vaseline it's called rose wax mm. and for the longest time again that was that was thrown away um oh, no. mortal sin yeah. <laughs> Um, but this beautiful rose wax is really high in vitamin C. So it's great for people with rosacea. So mm. more cosmetics companies are really looking to get away from the petrochemicals, get away from things like Vaseline. And so they're mm. utilizing rose wax in making their cosmetics. They're actually good for the planet, good for your skin. They use something that otherwise would have been wasted. So companies like Lush, you know, they're, they're using rose wax for the basis of their cosmetics. Those are all great things. Very great things. So great. Uh, it is very amusing to my my dear friends i'm so passionate about rose i am definitely allergic to rose can't have it near me can't. oh no <laughs> my mother and all my sisters all definitely allergic to rose my my dear friend michael sawyers that it's some sort of penance i must you know must have killed a pope in a former life just <laughs> some awful sin to have come into this life with a an allergy to rose yeah, yeah. wow it's such a powerful plant delicate it, powerful and delicate yes. has so much significance behind it in the west especially Absolutely. I can grow them. I, I love really getting to know them as a, as a plant without mm. that. It's only one specific, it's only the Turkish roses that I that have that oh. allergy to. So the, the English rose, the essential oil, I can roll in and it's fine. But so 
getting to understand and work with this as a plant ally is really important to me. You know, understanding that you can be strong and soft. Those are very important lessons. Yeah. So some, what are some of the ways that you utilize essential oils? That's the, the, the focus of your book, the Blackthorns Botanicals, right? Botanicals. Yes. Uh, th- these essential oil blends. So there's mm, 150, 160 essential oil blends that are listed in the, in the very back of the book in the end of each section. I will do things like I've, I created a, um, a hex breaking perfume that you can wear throughout your day. You put it on every day. You can keep both small, we'll say jinxes, all the, all the way up to very, fu- pardon my hiccups, my very fully fledged curses from impacting you personally. So it's it's got an oak moss base and it's really heady and beautiful. You can utilize these as perfume. You can use these for um, candle magic. You can know uh, certain candles that you're working with and really embrace that energy um, as an ally rather than just simply sprinkling some herbs in the bottom and hoping it does something. Uh, for example, I love working with, um, I call them magical pens. You take a 10 milliliter roll-on bottle. Um, there's a company, um, gotoilsupplies.com that actually has gemstone rollers. So you're not losing oil volume to putting a, a chip of stone in there for that added layer of uh, magical efficacy. Mm. But you can take, um, for example, I have an oil, um, my mistress size, it's to discover the face of um, uh, romantic partners. So you apply it to a candle, burn it on a Friday, and it helps um, reveal that that love to you. It's um, the idea of love spells is very uh, contentious in magical right. circles. So the love spells that I write about are um, with consent in mind. They, yeah. They're drawing love to you rather than drawing a specific person. Yes. Yeah. Um, a lot more sense to me. <laughs> yes. I love that you have them all within like arm's reach of your desk. <laughs> now you're like, let me smell this one. And <laughs> uh, my, my desk is actually set up as a perfumer's organ. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> yes. So they're, they're separated by individual brands. Uh-huh. And then I know, oh, I have, you know, 10 milliliters of rosemary from this company over here. I've got... Mm-hmm two ounces of benzoin from that company over here. So I, I'm very visually oriented, but it's all, it's a perfume organ. So I can, when I do interviews like this, I can, it's so cool. I can really <laughs> embrace the, the materials that I'm working with. Um, sure. Right now I'm holding a bottle of battle hexes. This is a, an offensive or defensive uh, magical oil mm-hmm. because most of the things that we associated with hex breaking are associated thusly mm-hmm. because they're, used for hexing Hexing, so if you can lay it you can break it Mm -hmm. so um, battle hexes is very lemongrass heavy it's very uh, the idea is shredding anything that's negative coming your way Mm -hmm. um but i i love being able to have these materials you can get anointed candle you can anoint yourself uh, but that magical pen idea you just take um one drop of something that might necessarily be great for your hands like black pepper you can put a drop of it in your 10 milliliter roll in a bottle, fill it the rest of the way up with uh, carrier oil, and it's diluted to a safe amount. So you can now r- draw on candles, on petitions, on copies of legal documents, uh-huh. um, all sorts of things without having to worry about getting it on your hands and potentially rubbing your own eye. Oh. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Those of you who make chili know what I'm talking about. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Well, those you are. Make such- that mistake once. 
Yeah, those are. I mean, chili pepper and black pepper are such good uh, defensive plants, but they're also yeah very. I mean, I think that's part of the reason that they're so, that they're such a good defense is that they're so aggressive in a certain. You way. are at, you are right on the money. Think about the the things that it does to the human body, and you'll recognize what they can do for you magically. Use all of your senses when you're when you're investigating plant materials for use in magic. If you don't know what it is. You can, you can look at the colors of the flowers. You can look at the shapes of the leaves. You can smell it and see what your body is telling you about it. Um, for example, if you didn't know what poison ivy looked like and you came upon a tree with a, a, a vine with little tiny red, bright red flowers on it, you might intimate that it could make your skin red. Mm-hmm. Um, nature wants us to understand what's happening. You know, mm-hmm. um, Paracelsus talked about the doctrine of signatures. And while it might not necessarily be as true as we'd want it to be for medicine, mm-hmm. yeah. magically understanding these plants is right on the money. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah the correspondences make I me mean, that makes sense. So that it's looking in that from that world view, you know, that's how magic works in a certain way. It's like you're you're drawing on the correspondences between the microcosm and the macrocosm. Absolutely. When we look at the relationships that we have to plants and plants have to each other, those are two completely different things. And we can learn a lot from the understanding of what does the flower shape tell you? What does the, what does the leaf make you think of? Uh, when you look at nettle or you look at uh, lobelia, you look at rosemary, those flowers have a very certain shape to them. <laughs> and they're, they can be reminiscent of different parts of the anatomy. So they might have certain right. associations <laughs> for your own magical well-being yeah and then also the way they taste and smell you know that gives you a clue and how they're utilized even in like herbs like using herbs medicinally um when you taste something sweet like a little bit sweet or maybe like if it's a little bit bitter you know you you know what that will do to your to your body if you, mm-hmm. t- if you taste something bitter then you can feel it working in your stomach and right. your digestion you know Absolutely. So these are all really important ways of exhibiting why our our senses do what they do and how we can use them in concert with our, our plant. Yeah. And there's so many ways to know a plant and so many, you know, different things that a plant can do. I like how you're like pro- promoting the idea of um, just using your own senses and using your own heart and gut to get to know plants, even as someone who's so well-researched and like have, you have such a wealth of knowledge of all the historical uses and, you know, you've written these books, but you're like, you know, you could just smell it and taste it and (laughs) know it. And like, it's your intention, right? Like it really goes back to that. It's so important when we look at the way that we interact with them. If you don't know, you've got to figure out a way to find out. And while- in the past too, and then wrote about it, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, so when I when I teach, I want people to learn how to do it for themselves. I don't yeah. want somebody to need me to take them by the hand um, for the rest of their lives. I want you to buy my books because you enjoy buying them, but I'm not the only person who writes. I'm not the only uh, resource out there. There's, there's lots of really incredible people who've taken the time and ability to really put those things together for you. Yeah. But if you don't, ha- if you're out in the woods, you're not going to, you know, it might not necessarily cart your entire library around with you. And with the yeah. advent of apps on your phone, I mean, we certainly can, mm-hmm. but there's got to be ways to figure these things out. Um, as a teenager walking around in the woods uh, near my home, 
yeah, there's there's some things that you come across and you figure, okay, this is this is neat, but what is it? I wound up coming across a beautiful orchid growing in the woods up out of uh, the base of a tree. And I think, oh, you know, I, I would love to be able to cut this and take this back to my mom and tell her I was thinking about her when I was on my walk. And I thought about it and something stopped me. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. And I go back and I sort of jump into the books at school, tear through the field guides and nope, it's not there. So I go back and I take a picture on uh, a disposable camera and take it to the one hour photo. And I send this picture to um, the local field extension office. Mm-hmm. I say, this feels important. So I don't want to pick it, but do you know what it is? Of course they know what it is. It's their job. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I had, I had stumbled upon a rattlesnake orchid that hadn't been seen in this area and was thought extinct for 150 years. Wow. Cool. That the, the Native Americans in that particular location had used to treat cancer. Wow. Uh, so I, I explained to the extension office, whoever needs to know where it is, it's right here. They actually sent someone from the local university to take p- samples of the plant, try and grow it and really develop this um, study on the efficacy of this plant being used to treat cancer and had already been in, in study and works, but I had no idea if I hadn't cut it. They, that's one last plant that they would have had to really yeah. help in the, in the fight against cancer. Yeah, you yeah. knew. That's really cool. And there's also... So, there's like a lot of different ways to know a plant too. I mean, like for somebody who might have read all these books, but not experienced the plant, they don't really know it on a experiential level. And then even in like, for instance, poke, like there's a lot of ways to know poke, like using the root for medicine or for uh, using the the leaves to eat, but, you know, using the berries as a dye is a whole other way, you know, and there's all these, everything is just so multi-layered and multi-dimensional. And Isaac yeah. loves poke. Yeah, I do. So great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, my, my dear friend, the high priestess who uh, we made friends with, I was chatting with her about poke and she's like, yeah, and in my family, you, you eat the first berry of the year that becomes, becomes red, you know, becomes ripe one berry a year and it's an anti-inflammatory like yeah i didn't know that and i've been doing this a long time <laughs> yeah apparently uh, people will use it for um like uh, arthritis but mm-hmm. you just swallow the berry but not chew the seed and that's yes. an important thing <laughs> that's a very important thing <laughs> don't chew the yeah. seeds and if yeah. you uh, the greens you double boil it right you yeah i usually double times. or triple yeah mm-hmm. boil yeah it. But it's such, yeah, I mean, it's one of those plants that's like poisonous, but also medicinal and also edible. It's just <laughs> has so many, it has so many uses, a dye plant. But Yep. As long as the leaves are six inches and below, and then you, there's, there's all this, yeah. you know, the, the ways to properly prepare these things, but it's yeah, so yeah. neat to take, to the empowerment that I felt being able to take something that people generally regard as poisonous. Mm-hmm. And say yes, I eat this. I enjoy this. This is this is something that I that I can do. And they look at you like you're a superhero. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how I feel about the ink. You know, like I love that idea of yeah. the fading ink with time. That's really cool. So we've talked a little bit about potions and about essential oils. We haven't talked that much about smoke smoking using. Well, not, not like smoking cigarettes, but like <laughs> using smoke ritualistically or using plants, um, you know, as incense and so on. You have a book about that, too. I do. Sacred Smoke was born out of a lot of the materials 
that I was writing for Blackthorn's Botanical Magic, but I kept coming up with these really beautiful and therapeutic incense recipes. And at the time that I was first writing Botanical Magic, it was just supposed to be an encyclopedia of, aromath of magical aromatherapy. And so I kept thinking to myself, this isn't essential oils, I gotta, I gotta stop. We wound up changing the, the focus to botanical magic as a whole, um, but there were so many materials that were, that I sort of felt were left out because they didn't have an essential oil available for them. And, and how do we make this, this idea work? So sacred smoke was really, the idea is to create a basis for your magical practice that's based on your own experience. Not because some indigenous tribe somewhere else has their own practice because that's theirs. So we, I don't use the S word. I don't, I don't, we don't say smudging. Um, I say, you know, there's, there's talk about smoke cleansing. Um, I talk a little bit about saining, which is a Scottish practice. that's sort of the opposite end of, uh, from, from smudging uh, and there as an indigenous practice, but we start as creating a practice for you based on your own experiences, because one of the things that people take for granted is that your sense of smell is has been honed over your entire lifetime through memories and experiences to get to recognition you know you pick up something that you know what it smells like i know that this bottle in my hand is peppermint but when i smell it i don't smell the first time that i smelled peppermint i don't have a memory of the first time i am smelling the most recent time that i smelled peppermint and remember oh yeah that's peppermint because if you had to go through the very first time you smelled everything, those, those, it's a copy of a copy of a copy at this point. So it's gonna be a little blurry. But if I can go through those pathways that I've established over a lifetime of smelling things and say, oh yeah, that's, that's mint. I'm engaging both my memory and recognition because you have to go through your memories before you can get to recognition. So by really increasing those pathways by working with scent uh, over a lifetime, we, two things happen. One, you build up a good scent vocabulary, which is important. But the other thing you're doing is you're understanding your own experiences through those memories. Uh, for example, if you smelled uh, a body wash that smelled like circus peanuts, and you haven't had circus peanuts since you were eight years old, um, your parents took you to the, the circus and you ate so much candy that you made yourself sick. You're not going to have a good scent association with that body wash because, you know, that's that thing that made you sick. However, if you are interacting with something that you have pleasant memories of, you'll continue to have pleasant memories of it and you can incorporate it into your practice. So we start with two things, uh, lavender buds and clove because they're both, you know, easy to find, easy to get your hands on. And we take time to sit with a journal and sit with your, your smoking materials that are in, on, on fire, so to speak, not you know smoking cigarettes, uh, and write down the things that come to mind, the memories that come up. Because those are the things that happen when we engage with a scent that we haven't had around for a while. Mm -hmm. And by examining each plant material that you come in contact with in that context, you're building your own repertoire of magical plants that have sacred implications for you without telling anyone else what their business is. Um, there's- Can I ask you something quick? Please. Um, can you change your memories with 
clients? Like if you have a bad yes. circuit peanuts and you want to change that, like how do you? Yes. There's, that's actually a book, a, 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 some, another point down the way. When I um, first came up with the idea for this um, series of books, I was, I was at a family funeral. It was one of those great aunt so-and-sos who you've never met and have no emotional attachment to, but it's familial obligation. And I was sort of nervous to go in the first place because the last family funeral, my, my aunt had a, a hissy fit because I'm a witch. So I didn't want to go, but I was, um, I felt that I really needed to. So, okay, that's fine. So I'm sitting at the edge of the pew towards the middle, waiting for my mother to show up and the event starts. So they, they have the priest and the flags and they're rolling the, the casket and they have a, a gentleman with a sensor. It's ready. It's beginning. Still mm-hmm. sort of anxious. Mom's not here yet. No one's, I don't have a buffer. Mm-hmm. And I went from anxious to whole in the blink of an eye. Wow. And it took me a second. Like what exactly is the, is the mechanism here? How did that, how did this work? How did that happen? And it took me probably 60 seconds to piece out my very first coven was um, all of our materials, all our, our rituals happened at a local store. Uh, the high priestess of the coven owned the store and she was, she liked to call herself a recovering Catholic. So at the beginning of every ritual, she would smoke out the ritual room with frankincense and myrrh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then we would ground and center and then we would start a ritual. So it had happened so many times over the five years that I had been with this group that just having that gentleman with the sensor of frankincense and myrrh walk past me, yeah. my brain automatically switched over to it's time for ritual. Oh. Yeah. There was no cognitive thought. There was no understanding the process. It just happened without my understanding of it. Yeah. So we can probably- do that on yeah. purpose right. to sort of write over those, those negative memories. You have to experience this memory when you need to overwrite. Um, so if you, it works better the more specific your oil is so just just using peppermint i would mix your peppermint with something maybe vanilla mm-hmm. uh, to really soften that and you'd smell it when you want to have those pleasant experiences over and over again so that you're you're overriding the the fear or the dread or the the response that you're having with something pleasant mm. so it's just like recording over a, a VG, vhs tape you're just rewinding and then putting something new in its place. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, cool. So it can be done. It can be done. It's it's easier than you think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just repetition is, is the most important part is the consistent repetition. Right. If this were something that I were trying, I would either put some in a roll-on bottle or maybe one of those um, those little cotton swab sniffers, like the, the, the use for Vicks Vapor Rub, mm. the, the little cotton cannulas that you can place it the nose and then put it in your pocket when you're not, when it's not in you. So you have yeah. it always on your person. Well, it seems like we're actually getting to the end of the, uh, of the interview. We've had a really wonderful time. I guess we have a couple more questions though. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, I, I have, I have time if you have time. Okay. Sweet. Um, well, we, we talked a lot about smoke sticks, like sm- smoking herbs, um, but we didn't talk about incense. So what's the difference between sm- smoking, you know, sticks versus an incense? Incense <laughs> can be 
<laughs> intense, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Plural That's, yeah. That is a very common mistake. Um, yeah. That is, it's very rooted in, our, in the way that we speak anyway, you know, with S at the end, mm -hmm. always is plural and without would be singular. <laughs> yeah. Incense, incense is both singular and plural. Yeah. Just like fish. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> so the difference would be uh, the material that you're using. So if they are a blend of herbs, mm -hmm. that can be incense. If you're, if you're using a blend of individual uh, resins, can be incense. A single resin can be incense. Mm -hmm. um, but those sticks are very handy to have on hand when you're you're walking around, uh, especially if it's say a monthly cleansing of your space. So the difference is very much rooted in that same uh, squatter's rights that herbalists get into, whether it's an herb or a spice. Right. It's pretty much the same <laughs> squatter's idea. Rights. <laughs> Who uh, owns this plant? <laughs> the kitchen witch, no. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite things, if you're um, the incense that you're working with, I love dragon's blood. It's one of my most favorite things ever. It's the, the sap from the Dracaena Draco. Uh, it's really lovely. It looks like red chalk when you hold it in your hand, but it smells musky and sweet and almost has a, a re residue of cherries in the back of your sinuses. Mm. Um, but if you like working with resins, but you don't have the, the ability to babysit them the way you do with something that's on charcoal, there's a, a gentleman who started a company out in the desert, uh, Fred Soul to L's, Fred Soul's um, resin on a stick. He actually takes the the bamboo sticks that traditional incense is rolled on and he dips them into the molten resin themselves wow. so you can just light it like a traditional incense stick but it's much so thicker cool. and it's darker there's no binder to it at all it's all resin yeah um but because it's all resin it takes an hour and a half or so to burn one stick right um so i save those for special ritual days because they're about a dollar a piece mm -hmm. yeah yeah uh, but they're really incredible the, Res you can resins. find yeah. dragon's blood you can find cobalt and frankincense all those those more expensive materials in a in a ready and easy to use material um, utilization so the right. uh, when you're talking about essential oils you're talking about resins people want to know things like why is frankincense so expensive do you know the reason do you know well the it's kind of endangered it's getting over harvested and it's in the desert in saudi arabia and north africa uh, those are those are all true, but they're not the reason that the that it's so expensive. Mm. Uh, at least not currently. It is definitely overharvested. And if we wanted to fix it, it's not. Even if we implemented a strategy today mm. to fix it, it wouldn't be fixed for twenty years, right? For they, an entire generation, because when you plant a frankincense tree, you plant a seed today, and it germinates into a, a little seedling tomorrow. It takes twenty years for that plant to be living, growing and breathing before it starts to produce the sap that will become the frankincense uh, resin. Mm. Wow. So that's 20 years of paying for the water and the land and the, the people to maintain it, yeah. all of those things for 20 years before you can even start to see any of that money back in. So well, it's an expensive material because it's a lot of upkeep. You can't just yeah. plant it and harvest it tomorrow like you could mm -hmm. you know, microgreens or something. That's why like a lot of it is uh, wild harvested right now, right? Yes. Um, one of the problems with the idea of wild harvesting, though, is the wild part. Right. Uh, especially for things like um, 
um, Salvia Appiana for, for white sage, yeah, it doesn't like to be farmed. It's just not interested as a plant, as a material. It doesn't want to grow in neat little rows. It grows on the side of a hill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So mm-hmm. people go out and you see the, the little labels. They all say wild harvested or wild crafted. Um, those those lands are usually owned by um, indigenous nations. Mm-hmm. So people are poaching these materials to sell them for a nickel to that shop in the mall where you got your your tarot cards and your flip flops. Yeah. Um, so it's very important that you understand where your materials are coming from. Right. Yeah. Um, that's why things like uh, salvia appiana are over harvested because people are poaching them for for um, cheap fix. And, and so garden they, sage, garden sage, and mugwort are very easy to grow. <laughs> yes. Yes, they are. They want to be. They want to work with you. They want to engage with you. Uh, things like the clo- the red and the white clovers that grow in in traditional lawns, yeah, those are really fantastic plants for the this the energy of joy. Mm. You know, the plantain that grows in your garden we we chatted out earlier. Yeah, that you can use that in your in your smoke rites. Oh, Each cool. one of these plants wants to work with you. There's a section in sacred smoke on the things you can find in your yard, mm-hmm. and also the things that you can grow in your yard to make for your own your own sacred smoke. You don't have to take your materials from um, an indigenous culture. You can grow them yourself for the things that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And a lot, of, I really like a lot of the herbalists who focus on, you know, the plants that grow around them. And I think the same, you know, is true for using plants in other ways. Like if you use the plants that grow around you, you have a more of a connection to them, you know, so there's a lot more uh, magic in, in it and they're the ones that want to work with you because they're the ones that are sharing your space like you're sharing their space really you already have exactly action so we can take each of these ideas and each of these allies and develop a relationship with them based on what they want to tell us you know you you have some salvia and flata that appears one day out of nowhere what does that mean well i should look to my connections to my my green allies you know, each one of these things has a message. We just have to figure out what it is. You just have to stop long enough to listen. Yeah, absolutely. So can you talk a little bit about how you would make an incense? Yes, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that I, the way that I do is I start with the intention. What do I want this to do? But I want a prosperity incense, okay? What do I have available? What do I have near me? And start there. I might have some ground orange peel that I can add as a base. You have to look at whether you want this to be loose or you want it to be an actual, like an incense cone, because they're they're two slightly different. Right, yeah, methods. Yeah. So, the so I can take- Burn on a charcoal, but the cone you could just light on fire. Right? Exactly. Okay, got it. So if I'm taking that cone, I'm going to need to keep a measurement of how much the, this all this plant material weighs. With a loose incense, I can just sort of wing it. But the material, so I've got an orange rind. I might add some basil. So basil is um, is joy, but it's also a commanding plant uh, energy. It's very forthright saying, okay, we need this now. Um, I might add some cinnamon for good luck. I might, um, I might add, oh, maybe some um, bergamot oil for manifestation of money. Uh, I might add a little bit of olive leaf. Uh, one of my favorite little tidbits is uh, my grandmother told me 
uh, young ladies would often put a dot of olive oil behind their ears before they went out of the town if they wanted to attract a wealthy husband. Huh. So you can take each of those pieces and create a loose incense, whatever ratio smells good. Mm-hmm. If you want to make it into a cone, then you would take that amount. So say five grams of dried plant material. Mm-hmm. I'd take another five grams of uh, mako powder. It's a, it's a very sticky plant material where you add water to it. And as the water, you can use wine or uh, several other materials as that liquid binder. And that's what provides the, the actual action of burning. So you can form it into cones, you can form it into sticks. There's um, a couple of videos on uh, my, my different various social media outlets. So you can see me doing this. It's, it's a very visual process. So if I had five grams of herbs and five grams of mako powder, then I would need 10 grams of water to start with mm-hmm. until it gets a nice sticky dough-like consistency. Um, I might leave it for a couple hours to mature that scent and make sure everything's nice and wet and then form it by hand into balls, cones, sticks, what have you. And it's really easy to do. It's fabulous because then you have that incense in the moment. So you can have something loose to sprinkle on charcoal when you need it. If you have just a little bit of planning that takes about 24 hours for it to really dry to the best of its ability, but you can add things like ground cardamom that you might not necessarily have access to in an incense but you i love the smell of cardamom yeah, it's, it's divine but you can add all sorts of things like uh, a bit of strawberry leaf for good luck you know mm-hmm. and things that don't necessarily have an aroma of their own they're not like really a strong one to really grasp what it means to be a part of that incense yeah, and even things like it, yeah lilac flowers in the spring they're Again, it's a liminal thing. They're only available for a very short time. Mm-hmm. But you could put a, a lilac flower in there too and give it a little bit more of that protective aspect to it. Uh, people expect things like jasmine and neroli to smell the way they do uh, as they're a living being, as they're being burned. It's not quite the same. Uh-huh. <laughs> jasmine, I, I will tell you, uh, between you, me, and the doorpost, <laughs> jasmine flowers being burned smells like cat pee. <laughs> Just a little pinch. Add that energy in there and cover it with something else. <laughs> okay, cool. I can definitely visualize that process. So you did a great job explaining it, especially yeah. not, you know, having video. It seems, it makes me want to do, I've actually never made incense. So I feel silly now. I was like, oh, it seems so hard, <laughs> but you made it sound easy. The best thing I can do is to tell you to take the different things that you want to put into an incense mm-hmm. and put just a teeny, teeny pinch on some burning charcoal and make sure that it smells the way you want it to them mm-hmm. separately before you put it all together. Yeah. That makes uh, sense. You, You're like, okay, like you said, not getting any cat pee. We're good. Let's put it in the bowl. <laughs> well, that's right. Too. You know, like I like to taste uh-huh. as I go when I'm cooking. So. Yes. Yeah. Same idea. Yeah. yeah. And that heads off any traumatic memories that may surface when you're working with something you haven't seen in 10 years or 15 years. Uh-huh. You're like, oh God, this, my, the Vicks vapor rub of the eucalyptus, I can't handle it. Whatever it is, yeah. <laughs> these things come up, but that's a way to head them off. If, you, if you're experimenting by burning them first before you're blending, then everybody's all on the same page. Yeah, definitely. That makes sense. Yeah, it's just amazing to think about how the olfactory system and the memory system work together. It's such a neat thing. I sort of visualize this giant Plinko board and the the little molecule bouncing around 
hitting different pins until you get, oh, that's that's lavender. That's what that is. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Do you want to, you know, knowing the difference between lavender and lavendin is just one or two points off in your in your brain's um, little mapping system. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so interesting. Well, I think we've we've about reached the end here. Um, can you give folks a little rundown on how to? Uh, buy your books or get in touch with you on social media or absolutely you can uh, check my materials i'm always letting you know about the new book i'm writing because i i don't plan to stop anytime soon uh amyblackthorn.com you can also book appointments to chat with me there there's um my tea shop is blackthornsbotanicals.com and you can keep up with all the the amusing at least i think memes (laughs) on amy blackthorn author on facebook Okay. And I I really thank you for your attention today. So what is your new book about? The new book. I'm so excited. This is um, Blackthorn's Protection Magic, a Greenwich's Guide to Self-Defense. So I get to talk, I get to blend the the magical part of myself and the, the, I've been doing executive protection for 15 years. So I get to talk about the, the physical defense. There's an entire chapter on the, the things that we do person to person rather than magically, you know, the things that we talk about, you know, Holly can protect your, protect your house from lightning, but it can also protect your house from burglars because no one wants to hide in something that prickly. Oh uh, yeah. Uh, so it, it's blending the physical and the magical into a system that most people don't really get to think about. Most books on protection magic only deal with the magical and they don't really have the experience of the, the physical you know, I think yeah. there's maybe one I can think of off the top of my head that was written by a former law enforcement officer who happened to be a witch. It's, uh-huh. you know, and that's probably it. Um, yeah. And so I, I, I included in the physical defense chapter, escape from duct tape, escape from rope, escape from uh-huh. zip ties, escape, escape from handcuffs, like how to protect yourself from, you know, unwanted and unneeded attention is great. That is amazing. Yeah, I feel like we could have you back on for a whole other hour just to talk about. Fantastic. <laughs> um, it's it's broken up into mind, body, and spirit. So protecting your mind, protecting mm-hmm. your body, and protecting your 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 spirit. So I look forward to being out? able to talk about that with you guys soon. Yes. Yeah. When's it coming out? So that should be this fall. Okay. Um, the latest will probably be January of 2022. Okay. Great. We'll have you on then yeah thank you so much (laughs) yeah Yeah. thank you amy thank you for yeah taking the time it was really a pleasure have a great night yeah you too great